0: Sound Opinions is supported by Goose Island, pairing beer and music since 1988. Goose Island Beer Company, Chicago, Illinois. Listen critically, enjoy responsibly.
1: you got to understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless.
2: so crazy about it's just music
1: 30 years ago this month slayer came on the scene with its debut album show no mercy and metal hasn't been
3: the same since i'm greg cod of the chicago tribune and i'm jim Dirigatis from wbez and columbia college we talk to members of the pioneering metal band slayer and review a surprising new collaboration from billy joe armstrong of green day and nora jones that's all coming up on sound opinions This is sound opinions and as far as we're concerned no band in rock history says Christmas quite like Slayer. <laughs> you know, I was thinking the same thing, Jim.
1: I mean, what other band? They ended one tour, which I heard about from the early 90s where they were
3: drenched in blood. You know, At the what end says Christmas show, right? like that, right? Yeah, that's that's a holiday feast. We're going to have some fun talking about one of the most influential bands in the history of heavy metal. But first, some music news. That is a song called XO from the new self titled Beyonce album. And let me tell you, in the history of great endeavors in the western world there was that business of the allies crossing the channel on d-day in 1944 (laughs) and then there is the surprise middle of the night release of album number five from beyonce her solo record the big news was that as the clock struck 12 from thursday to friday december 13th beyonce with no fanfare whatsoever released this album via the itunes store and it has been selling By Sunday night, it had sold $617 copies, only via iTunes, with no pre-release publicity, with her having kept it well under wraps that she was even making this album, much less that she'd finished it, and social media kind of carrying the news to the world that this album is out. And she could not have bought the sort of publicity that she wound up getting for this release in its wake. But it's not without offending some people, like, remember the good old brick-and-mortar mom-and-pop record stores? Some small independent retailers are saying we're not going to sell the album. If she only wanted to release it via iTunes, not give us a chance to sell the physical product, and also some big chains. Target is angry at her and is saying it will not stock the Beyonce record if she's going to cut its customers out of the ability to buy the record and only sell it through iTunes. So this is obviously a big story, even without talking about the music. But you at home probably want to know if this is worth your time listening to Queen Bee's latest. Here's a song, it's called Pretty hurts by beyonce on sound opinions we'll come back and give our thoughts on the record
2: mama said you're a pretty girl what's in your head it doesn't matter brush your hair fix your teeth what you wear
1: That is Beyoncé from her new self-titled album, a song called Pretty Hurts. It's the self-empowerment song that kicks (laughs) off the record. You know, I was very skeptical about what this record was going to be because she apparently had a false start with this record over the spring and summer, basically announcing that the album had been scrapped. She was starting over. And it is a more adventurous record. It is the record in some ways that she promised in 2011 when she said she was going to take more musical chances and didn't really. On this record, she is taking more musical chances. The expanse of the music, the kind of genres and range that she's displaying both musically and as a singer is the most impressive of her solo career. I'm not particularly impressed, though, by the lyrical content. There's always been this quality about Beyoncé where I felt she's a little wooden, a little plastic. A little removed from the rest of us You know (laughs) When people think about a great singer They talk about a person channeling emotions And I've never really felt that from Beyonce And I'm not getting it on this album either There's a couple of songs here Where she is talking about feminism And about female empowerment And those are impressive moments But I think the lyrical ambitions Do not match the musical ones At the same time I think it's musically
3: It's one of the best things that she's done So I'm going to give it a Burn It rating I agree with you, Burnett, Greg. She was going, I think, for that sort of stripped-down soul R&B sound that is ruling the underground right now, but she's still working with you know, high-profile collaborators, Missy Elliott, Big Boy, right? This weird juxtaposition in the lyrics between championing feminism. Flawless has that writer Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie giving that voiceover, right, about self-empowerment. We teach
4: girls that they cannot be sexual beings in the way that boys are feminist a person who believes in the social political and economic equality of the sexes
3: and then there's other lyrics you know Beyonce's telling us how she likes to cook for her husband naked around the apartment which is not to say that you can't be a mother and a wife and a feminist it's just that she kind of puts different roles on in different songs, and you never, like you said, where is the real Beyonce? Who is this woman? But it's something to hear. If you want to hear what the most expensive top dollar dance pop soul R&B can sound like today, uh, it's worth giving it a spin. So a burn it, a double burn it from the two of us.
1: You're listening to Sound Opinions, and that's Show No Mercy, the title track from the debut record by Slayer. It was released 30 years ago this month, setting off a sound that would become the blueprint for speed metal. Lead singer Tom Araya, guitarist Jeff Henneman and Carrie King, and drummer Dave Lombardo also racked up a bit of controversy over the years, and that's putting it mildly. Slayer's look and imagery, which references demons and violence, sometimes that overshadowed their evident musical virtuosity. Now, many of you will remember the name Slayer simply because they were bandied about by the Parents' Music Resource Center in the
3: 80s, headed at the time by one Tipper Gore. I really think, Greg, that the PMRC would have liked Slayer to return to the bowels of the underworld from which they allegedly sprang. But despite that, the band has been going strong now for more than three decades, not without changes. We reported the death earlier this year in May of guitarist Jeff Henneman, And when we sat down with the group in 2010 for a conversation, we spoke to Kerry King and Dave Lombardo, the drummer, who is now out of the group again. Nevertheless, it's 30 years since that first album. We wanted to mark that anniversary, talk about this band, and the guitarist and drummer at the time stopped by when they were on tour supporting World Painted Blood. We got the chance to reflect on this career.
1: Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, sir. So you guys are kids when you started this band in California. Yes, we were. And, Kerry, was kind of you and Jeff Henneman, basically, at the core of it, or how did, how did that start exactly?
0: I would say I did fishing and found everybody, but Dave actually found me. But, you know, playing with Jeff, playing with Dave, then bringing Jeff in to play with Dave, and then all of us going to play with Tom, you mm-hmm. know, it's just
5: kind of planets also, aligned, you know? Mm-hmm. It all just fell together. In an odd way,
1: and was there like a vision at that point? You know, what's this band going to sound like? Who, what are we going to play like? Was there a sense of that, or was it just four guys getting together in a room and bashing something out?
0: Yeah, I'd I'd say that.
1: Yeah, (laughs) because I mean, you were probably sixteen Me and Jeff were seventeen. Yep,
5: I
3: was.
0: You know, we just got together with people like the same music we liked because we had no intention of making up new music. We had no idea how to approach it.
3: First gig at a high school,
0: your high school.
5: No, no our first gig was... Uh, at a park. Southgate Park Auditorium. Battle mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. Bands. Battle of the Bands on Halloween. <laughs> Did you win? I don't think so. I don't think so, no. <laughs> I don't think we were any good.
3: Craig was alluding to whether the sound was there when you first came together or not. You guys have become so iconic as one of you know the defining bands of a whole subgenre of metal. What were the ingredients that went in? What was on everybody's turntable at that point?
0: I think Dave was probably the one that... And still today is the one that likes everything, Under the Sun. At that point, I was probably really into Priest and Maiden, and Jeff had jumped off into hardcore West Coast. More West Coast than anything else, hardcore punk. And that's where the speed and aggression came from. Mm. And Dave liked
5: everything. So it just worked. Yeah, but the punk rock really fueled, I think, the heavy metal that we were into. You know, the Judas Priest style of riffing. You know, we brought that into, you know, that style of guitar riff. Yeah. We kind of blended those two together.
3: And the idea that there could be metal music that didn't have fat, the way that punk didn't have fat, right? Well,
0: we metal, metal had the, the intricate riffs, you know, mm. and wasn't only singing about angst. <laughs> right. 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 Um, punk was just based on a vibe, I think. Could have been three chords, could have been six chords, but it didn't really matter. It was just the
1: vibe. A lot of people talk about that early 80s thing as, as sort of the shift in sound. Well, you, you talk about the aggression coming from metal. But, you know, the, the speed, the thrash metal thing, you guys are considered some of the pioneers of that. Was, was that a conscious thing? We're going to play three times as fast as anybody else? I mean, we're talking about 220 BPM, I think, by the time you guys were making Rain and Blood.
5: I think that developed slowly as remember we were young adrenaline testosterone we were you know high on life and um with the combination of that and playing live and it just it just sped up in a way mm-hmm. to to become comfortably fast and to a point where hey this feels good I was going to
0: have the same story probably worded a little different you know Dave is like we bring stuff in and you know none of us are like if I made it up or Jeff made it up, none of us really own it yet. You know, we're showing it to Dave, and it naturally progresses speed-wide for, for probably a couple of weeks until it finds that place where we know this is where we got to stop. Mm. And I don't know how we know that, but we're talking about it last night because one, th- one of the songs in the shows was borderline right there. It's like, if it's any faster, I can't keep up.
1: <laughs> and we, we just ended there.
0: That's where it was.
1: But were you conscious of, like, this is kind of like the new thing? Did you guys feel no. like you were doing something kind of the next for me
0: all i wanted to do was be the the anti-la i wanted to be as far away from poison and rat as you can possibly (laughs) get i think we did it
1: and what was it about those bands that was turning you off that said i don't we don't want to be them
0: i never understood why girls wanted to go see guys dress like girls (laughs) i never got it you know day, i don't get it Mm -hmm. it wasn't real to me
1: dave i'm looking at your t-shirt you got a gene krupa t-shirt on there it's pretty cool and you are the guy, a lot of people say, you know, man, the double kick drum, that, that was like huge innovation. When, when did you start toying with the elements of here's what I'm going to play here, here's how I'm going to hit it, expanding the sound of, of metal in a lot of ways?
5: Well, as we were writing the songs early on, you know, of course, they would give me the idea. Hey, why don't you put double bass in this section? Mm-hmm. So I would have to find ways of developing patterns to, you know, bring that in to, to the riffing that they were bringing so it was really, it's really natural and almost innocent um, how we did it, because we really—I didn't take lessons. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to records and mimicking what was on the records. So it was just instinct and and just experience of what I had listened to prior in my life or during that time that I was just taking little bits of information and creating my own.
1: Gene Krupa And jazz at drummers that At the time, time No
5: But sure, Like uh, I was listening To Latin jazz At that time I was really exposed To a lot of that Through my brother-in-law Who was telling me Now this is real music I go no dude This stuff You know And I would play him Some Judas Priest Or or Kiss Or Iron Maiden Funny part of that story Is Dave never wanted A second kick Oh yeah Remember
0: No <laughs> <laughs> He didn't want it It's like I don't need that second kick I'm like Listen man It's gonna be awesome yeah. <laughs> and we kind of persuaded you into giving it a shot, and you loved it.
4: Parents should realize that we have explicit and graphic sex, extreme violence, suicide in lyrics that is going to children that are sometimes not even teenagers yet and
3: young teenagers. Oh. Well, let's talk about the way that you guys first probably broached the mainstream consciousness outside the metal community, outside the rock world, when this woman, Tipper Gore, starts attacking the content of the songs. And I mean, we were both starting our careers at that point or just a beginning to write about it. I mean, it was just like, you don't understand this band. And yet there you are on television on Capitol Hill and other people jumping on the band. It was like, have you ever listened to this band? Do you know what these lyrics are about? Do you know what this band is about? You know, now that that's ancient history. How does it feel to have been demonized in such a way?
0: I remember when all that went down, and I said the only thing this is going to do is make kids want it more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And realistically, they did, you know. And if that kid wanted that record, he was going to get it, you know. I don't know if he had an older friend, an older brother, you know. They're going to get it. It's it's you're you're almost making it like the drug industry when you ban things. You know what I mean? It's like if somebody wants it, they're going to get it.
1: Carrie, I know, I know you've got a kid, at least one, right? Mm-hmm. Put yourself in Tipper shoes for a minute. I know that sounds really uncomfortable. Though, yeah, I don't think they fit. Flip it around. If you were her and, and, and sort of dealing with, okay, there's controversial content, explicit words. There's stuff in here that may be inappropriate, quote, unquote, for a young kid to be listening to. How would you have handled it differently than well, then she be did? be a parent
0: and take responsibility for your offspring. Mm-hmm. Don't blame me for something you can't control. Period. That's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Sorry, I'm a
1: realist. Right, yeah, yeah your kid comes across some you know, two live crew record or something like that. You, you say, hey, that's okay to listen to, but here's some things you need to know or how, how, do you, how do you handle a situation like that?
0: I think a lot of people don't give kids enough credit.
3: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, 90, 95% of them understand it's entertainment, you know, and I'm not sitting here after I leave the studio going to go have a beer with Satan at the corner bar, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs>
3: Coming up on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX, we'll have more of our conversation with Kerry King and Dave Lombardo of Slayer. Then Greg and I will get to some album reviews, including the latest from Community star Donald Glover as Childish Gambino.
1: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Greg Cott with Jim DeRigatis, and you're listening to our conversation with Kerry King and Dave Lombardo, the founding guitarist and drummer from the heavy metal band Slayer. Their debut, Show No Mercy, was released 30 years ago this month, but Slayer was still a relatively underground band in California until the 1986 release Rain in Blood. You're hearing the title track from that album now, which was produced by the then-fledgling hip-hop mogul Rick Rubin. So I asked Dave Lombardo what it was like to work with someone from such a different music arena. You got together with Ruben. He signs you to a hip-hop label, Def Jam. Were you guys a little little weirded out by the the whole idea of being approached by a guy who was essentially running a hip-hop label at that time? Did you see any connection between what you guys were doing and what was happening in in New York City hip-hop with Public Enemy and the Beastie Boys at that time?
5: I think at the time... Just being out of what we were in and going into a major label scenario Mm. was good for us. And somebody that was cutting edge like Rick Rubin, I think, boosted us and helped us and put us in a different category of musicians where this guy, Rick Rubin, you know, took notice. Hey, there's something special about this band that I don't see anywhere
1: else. And I think it was a great move on our part. Well, obviously, you made a classic record with him, right? Absolutely, uh, Your third record, Rain and Blood. Kerry, what was a big difference for you in in working with Ruben between what Slayer was and what it became with that record? Well,
0: the obvious one's budget, Mm -hmm. but we didn't even care about that. We still wanted to go in and work, you know, till the sun came up. That was just who we were, and, you know, we've been asked a million times, did you know these 10 songs were, you know, historically going to be referred to as one of the greatest thrash metal albums of all times, and... No, they were the next ten. Mm-hmm. You know, we just went in and did them, mm-hmm. and and Rick made us realize we didn't need the the reverb, like the venom sound, so to speak. And when he took all that reverb out and cleaned it up, man, it was just brutal. It just punches you in the forehead from top to bottom. Wait in the hour.
1: I think it also kind of showed people that you guys could really play. At that point, it was kind of like, wow, these guys are really good at what they're doing. You can make all these comments about the lyrics, but there was no doubt that there was sort of a level of musicianship on that record that Let me
5: make a note also that it, that was before computers. Mm-hmm. That was before recording digitally.
3: That was all on tape. But was the band always playing together at the same time, Dave? Or, or, yes. Or what? So not even slicing with a razor blade or... Uh, I mean, there was times maybe, that yes, happened. Yeah. yes, but it 's not like with pro Tools where you 're no, mixing and matching verses, no. and that 's
1: abuse to music but it 's so easy it yeah. is I love it it <laughs>
3: yeah, that makes our life easy but, yeah. yeah
1: yeah and it 's interesting too, you talk about the twenty eight minute record because at the time a lot of the iconic metal records at the time were, were getting longer. You know, Metallica was making these 8, eight nine, ten minute tracks, and you guys are going in the exact opposite direction. Yeah. Was it almost like you you were listening? Were you listening at all to what, what everybody else was doing and kind of saying, we're going to go in the exact opposite direction? Or
0: Nah. No, we just did what we wanted to do, regardless of what was happening. You know, I I can't remember when Puppets came out in, in regards to Rain and Blood. I know they were really close, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, that was a real good time for music because... That's my favorite Metallica record, Master of Puppets. And most fans' favorite Slayer albums, Rain in Blood. So something was mm. going on that year. Feel
4: hell full of the pressure of man Holds the key to own death Enter the tomb of a cult you see Tighten the tourniquet around your neck Sticking away the debris of hate in life Cold touch of death begins to chill your spine
1: And then you guys went exact opposite direction yet again, you know, with the next record. You, you know, you follow up one of the fastest, hardest hitting records ever and then you just completely hit the brakes with the next record. And that a, again, like, we're not going to repeat ourselves, we're going to go somewhere else with this with this record?
0: That one was definitely thought about because, um, you know, putting the set list together, it was just brutality. It was just blasting people in the face, you know, and there's no dynamic to the performance. So mm-hmm. we're like, all right, we just did this south of heaven, let's, you know, concentrate on being heavy. So we had something to offset, you mm-hmm. know, all the rain and blood and, and hella weight stuff.
1: It was an interesting move because you would become popular. I, I, th- I think uh, Rain and Blood ended up selling like a, a half mill, Huge success considering that you guys are essentially an underground band. And then South of Heaven, you, you basically go away from the sound that made you popular, <laughs> which was kind of a perverse move at the time. I mean, were any of you saying, I don't know, maybe we should just do more of the same. You know, we got, we got popular doing this.
5: When you're in a band, I mean, you always need to evolve. You need to try new things. Let's say if we tried to repeat Rain and Blood... You can't really try to top yourself. You you have to try to experiment and see if that's that's the way to go. So, I think it's great the direction that the band went at that time because, like he says, it brings diversity to the set. And you know, there's a lot groovier stuff. Mm. And then again, it shows our musicianship too that we can play slow. It's not just a bunch of noise.
0: Doing that record, it made me realize that we left something behind on Rain and Blood that we had to go back and make sure we got to take with us. Mm. Um, so I think Tom sang way too clean on that record because I like the intenseness of the Rain and Blood album. Mm-hmm. And even though there's great songs on South to Heaven, I don't like it as much because of the vocal performance. So I knew in doing Seasons in the Abyss that we had to we had to blend those and make the happy medium of sorts.
4: Black your mind not to be. Take a look through time and pass this, this
1: Nineteen ninety record Seasons in the Abyss was kind of like a the fifth album that seemed to be like kind of a summing up of where you guys were at that point. It seemed like all the all the great stuff that uh, in fact you're playing it on this tour. Yeah. It seems to be one of those albums that okay. You want everything that that's good about Slayer. It's it's all on this record. Did you feel that way when you were making it? That that was kind of that kind of a statement.
0: I think for me, we were taking all the good parts of the past and making a record out of it. Yeah. You hear that most again on the new one, uh, World Painted Blood. I think it's everything anybody could like Slayer for, and it's all on that record. So it's it's just kind of set us up for what we were gonna be. I think mm-hmm. what we thought we were gonna be. I am not-
3: We're talking to uh, Kerry King and Dave Lombardo of Slayer. For all the, the talk about the shock value of the lyrics, there's, there's an artistry there. there there's a poetry, not to get overly heavy. Uh, I mean, did that ever bother you guys? I mean, there's a lot of thought there. There's a lot of intellectual thought. There's, you, three of you are writing the lyrics at different points, right? And mm-hmm. um, does that ever tick you off? People say that all we are is shock, and yet there is this content there? Well, I mean,
0: realistically, you can't write those kind of things without being intelligent enough to back them up. Look at our writings, look at Marilyn Manson's writing, anybody that writes, you know, not straight down the road stuff. Yeah, I look back to Angel of Death and Disciple, you know, different eras, but the same kind of thing. And Jihad, for instance, you know, if, if if somebody took those lyrics and made a documentary out of it and mm. it was on Discovery Channel, mm. it would win awards. But yeah. Slayer wrote it, so it's dangerous.
3: There has been this uh, increasing political bent over the last couple of records, putting the death, destruction, blood, and mayhem in the context of, uh, hey, look around. There's death, destruction, blood, and mayhem everywhere. Talk about rain and blood. It's been less storytelling and more kind of repertorial. You know,
0: the funny thing is Disciple came out on God Hates Us All, which everybody knows came out on September 11th. And you look at Disciple and it looks like I knew something. I just you know watch the news and take little snippets and make a song out of it and it actually turned into reality almost almost exactly
3: One of the things that I find incredibly inspiring at a a Slayer show is the sense of community. If you say you're a Slayer fan, it still means something. You're part of a community, you're part of an aesthetic. Is that a heavy responsibility? Is that something you guys ever think about? I know what you're saying, but I think
0: just being who we are, making up the songs we make up, doing these kind of interviews, doing in-stores, you know, you're giving back, and you're seeing who's coming, you know, it's still the original guy's and their kids and their grandkids mm. and older brothers and younger brothers and, you know, sisters now, too. I mean, the the <laughs> amount of women coming to the shows is just staggering, especially the ones in the pits that are thrown with the guys. That's impressive. Yeah, you see it in the front row.
1: Yeah. See the poor girls there all squished among these <laughs> guys. You know, what
5: did I get myself into? <laughs>
1: what's interesting I wanted to follow up on what Jim was saying though because I think it's an excellent point these last couple of records have been as intense as anything you guys have ever done in fact I think there's almost been kind of a rebirth in the band it feels like to me like the music is is every bit as good as it ever was and if it's possible it seemed like when you were younger you guys were maybe playing around with some of the shock tactics and sort of playing around with yeah okay we are kind of edgy you know you think that was satanic well we'll give you a satanic song you know almost playing with it now it seems like if if it's possible, you guys are angrier than ever at what you're seeing in the world. We're, we're really it seems good at like, being angry now. Yeah, well, it's, it's weird. It's like, they think, oh, you know, a little bit older, they're going to lose a little edge. It seems, no, you guys are more ticked off now. It seems like it's got a more of a serious edge to it in some ways. I, I know what you're
0: talking about. I can see it in things I've written. guess I'd attribute that to being older and, and seeing things differently, you know certainly doesn't mean i can't be upset about what's going on but i like to um i like to invoke thought i like people to you know if you get anything out of something i read i don't care if you believe anything i say but if it makes you think about something and question something that you've never questioned before then i've done my job
1: what about the the reaction of the fans what kind of feedback do you guys get because there there has been the myth about the band that the fans are actually scarier than the band
0: yeah i had a weird story in spain once i've told a million times but um we were out signing after the show you know they had them all line up somewhere outside and you know i'm rolling down the line with my pen signing some stuff and this guy hands me what i assume is a sharpie <clears throat> and i'm like no dude i got my own i'm i'm good and, you know he doesn't understand a word i'm saying but <laughs> yeah. you know he's grunting at me with his and i'm like oh he must have the special pen so i grabbed his pen and he's getting hands me a scalpel uh-huh. wants me to carve slayer or something into him i'm like Man, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sign anything you got, but I'm not going to cut you, you know? Yeah, wow. Well. But he was he was intense, man. He wanted it. He saw, you know, some of the imagery on our albums and stuff, and he decided it was his time.
5: Yeah, their enthusiasm is a little scary. They're really nervous. Mm-hmm. Their hands are really sweaty. And, you know, they're shaking. Mm-hmm. You think, man, this guy's nuts. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. You know, they're just happy to see you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. they <laughs> That's it. Sure are. <laughs> Thanks for coming <laughs> out. <laughs> no, no, yeah, go get a napkin, will you? <laughs> yeah. Dry your hands.
1: This summer, you guys toured uh, stadiums in Europe with the big four. Uh, it was you, Megadeth, Metallica, Anthrax. And there has been an aspect of it. There's the infighting between the bands and all this. How much of that is myth? How much of reality? Was it good to sort of be on the stage with those three other bands?
5: It's all true. We all hate each other. We've been fighting <laughs> for the past 20-some years.
1: <laughs> I have. I'm starting to yeah yeah well I I think it goes back though and actually I was talking to Dave Mustaine about this a few days ago like to my mind it reminds me of any great period in music there's always a little bit of competition or maybe a lot of competition between the best bands of the day and they make each other better uh, through that and I think it's been true of almost every year in rock history did you feel that was the case when you guys were basically all coming up together in the 80s
0: I think in the back of
1: our minds, you know, we might have thought, you know, you'd
0: hear a record and go, I can make up something better than that. But that's (laughs) about the end of it. You know, I mean, I truly didn't like some of these guys. (laughs) We had I didn't talk to Mustaine for like 20 years. Mm -hmm. Not even a word. It's like I ain't talking to him. But, Mm -hmm. you know, this tour came up and before we even, you know, touch base with each other, I'm like, I would be a douche if I didn't let this tour happen for the fans. Mm -hmm. you know and that was my first you know first thought you know the fans deserve this so i got in touch with him on i think is on the way to the australian gigs and i said that to him i walked up and i said hey dude i don't think i spoke to you in 20 years
2: Mm -hmm.
0: you know and he's said through the press a million times you know i don't want to repair a friendship i want to start a new one and i'm like all right well we'll see where it goes and what happened we're still seeing where
5: it goes
3: (laughs) (laughs) but playing together Yeah.
5: yeah
1: Well, it it seems like the band is, in a lot of ways, as I said, making music as good as it ever has. Um, But Tom has had some medical issues. He's also given some interviews where he's talked about, you know, he sees a a sort of a finite period here for the band. I mean, where are you you guys at right now in terms of that?
0: It's taken me, I was going to say this when you were talking about Dave playing a minute ago, sometime on this album cycle, you know, I turned around and looked at Dave one night and I'm like... This guy's gonna be like deal of drums. He's gonna be on that drum stool when he dies. You know, <laughs> I don't see mm-hmm. Dave ever stopping. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was refreshing because I'm like, all right, I got somebody to play with now. Cool. <laughs> um, but I don't know what what Tom's talking about. You know, if he feels like that, he hasn't discussed it with us. It could mm-hmm. be. I don't. I, I haven't read the interviews, so I don't know if it's coming for him. If the words are getting twisted, I don't really
1: know.
5: It's coming to me in different angles too.
1: Do you feel creatively right now that the band is at a at a kind of a, a different level? Yes,
5: we work much uh, so well. We work so well together now. You know, in the studio, writing, and on tour.
1: Dave, this is like your third stint. You've been you've been a lifer in this band, in and out at various stages. Where. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of those three stints, which one has been the most enjoyable from, from, from your one. standpoint? And what's the difference? Why? Why? Why is it different now? Than older was? and wiser.
5: Yeah, it's like, hey, here I am. I was put onto this world, and here I am playing drums and playing in a band, going on tour. How? How can things be?
3: You know, why should I complain? Kerry King, Dave Lombardo of Slayer, it's been uh, an honor and a pleasure having you guys on Sound Opinions. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. Thanks, boys. Thanks, man. Very cool. <music> to sound off on Slayer or anything we talk about on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. Next up, Greg and I review new albums from Nora Jones and Billy Joe Armstrong and Childish Gambino. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. Look at
4: the facts, I'll live my faith, I'll get no honesty. I can't control my destiny, there is no virtual I'll claim my death to win my wrath, it takes out without a try. End all to interact, of course, I will never die. You think by killing me tonight, my powers will not rise. There'll be no way for you to rise when a hatred comes to life. Condemned to feel the props to so your line, no for sport. Define them over, that's I should leave you.
3: Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott, and that is a tune called Roving Gambler that kicks off an album called Foreverly, coming to us from Billy Joe Armstrong and Nora Jones. Greg, people will know, Billy Joe Armstrong is the leader of Green Day, came out of the Berkeley underground punk rock scene, became a post-Nirvana alternative era superceller stars evolved into a very ambitious band recording things like american idiot a concept album that would eventually get turned into a broadway play as a daughter of the sitar master ravi shankar nora jones started out singing in coffee houses in greenwich village was signed to the prestigious blue note jazz label worked with the great arif Marden, who had produced Aretha Franklin and really made a splash with her first two albums in the early 2000s. These two things unlike Peanut Butter and Chocolate, would not seem to go together, Billy Joe Armstrong and Nora Jones, much less on a concept project wherein they not only cover the Everly Brothers, the pre-rock and roll masters of harmony singing, right? But they're remaking in particular an entire album that the Everlys recorded, Songs Our Daddy Taught Us, in 1958. Uh, this record was initially recorded and released. It was a fairly obscure record. This is not like Everly's greatest hits. This is a record that flew under the radar that was a collection of folk standards, none of which the Everly brothers wrote. Right, So it's folk songs covered by the Everleys being remade by a punk rocker and a new age jazz chanteuse in 2014. I'm sorry if you got confused there. It's all a little confusing. Let's just play a song. Here is Oh So Many Years by Billy Joe Armstrong and Nora Jones from the Foreverly album. We'll come back and give our opinions on Sound Opinions.
2: All these men. Ma-
1: So many years from the new collaboration by Billy Joe Armstrong and Nora Jones called For Everly, named after the Everly Brothers and their 1958 album, Songs Our Daddy Taught Us. Billy's doing Don's parts and uh, Nora's doing the high fill harmonies on this particular album. Didn't expect this coming, you know? I have to say, what are these two going to do together? I didn't expect them to pick out a 1958 Everly Brothers album to cover front to back. See, I thought this had
3: been on your Christmas wish list <laughs> last year. I really wish Nora Jones and Billy Jones would
1: cover the Everlys. The idea here was that these were songs that were taught to Phil and Don Everly by their father. Now Phil and Don are sort of passing them down a couple generations later, and uh, Billy Joe and Nora are doing them. And that's kind of a cool idea. The one little twist is that obviously it's a female voice against the male voice, as opposed to the two original male voices singing these parts. And it does give a certain tension to some of the songs where relationships have gone wrong in Long Time Gone and Down in the Willow Garden, or Nora taking the lead as she does on I'm Here to Get My Baby Out of Jail, You know, the mother coming to get her son out of the clink and lamenting the the bad turn that his life has taken. But I'm thinking if two people other than two famous pop stars like Armstrong and Jones had done this album, would anyone care? And I'm coming down to the idea that not really. They don't really transform these songs in any significant way. I don't sense a lot of chemistry between these two. It seems to be sort of a marriage of convenience. Oh, I sort of know know Nora Jones. I'm going to do an album with her. That's basically what Billy Joe Armstrong has said in a couple of interviews. I'm not sensing that they took these songs anywhere new. I think the one great value of this record is that it does point listeners back to the original Everly Brothers album, which was indisputably a great record. This is not. I'm going to have
3: to give it a trash (laughs) it. No, it's not a great record. What's more, this is a silly, 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 silly record, Greg. It is clearly a a marketing ploy. You know, let's put the jazz chanteuse with the pop punk guy. There are bigger problems than the fact that that Nora Jones is a female singing the male part. You know, Billy Joe can't sing. You know, he's got a, a charmingly gruff voice, which is perfectly fine for pop punk. It is not suited for Everly Brothers harmonies given that the instrumentation is really spare, low-key drums, a little piano, a little bit of pedal steel, and it's all about the vocals, and the fact that the woman, you know, Nora can sing, but Billy Joe can, and even if he could, the voices aren't going together well, that makes it an abject failure. And what's more, to go back to the Everly's original, which I did after listening to this, there's a certain creepy undertone to this Mm -hmm, record. The number of songs about mom and being overly, now look, I love my mother i know you love yours okay (laughs) but there is like some creepy mom obsession on these tunes you know i don't it's not my favorite everly brothers everybody needs one great best of everly brothers set i don't think that this is a great everly's album it's certainly not great as reimagined by armstrong and jones so i second your trash it
2: Hold up, wait a minute
4: All good, just a week ago Crew at my house And we party every weekend So on the radio That's my favorite song Make me bounce around Like I don't know Like I won't be here long Now the thrill is gone Got no patience Cause I'm not a doctor Go why is you lying? Girl, why you Mufasa? Yeah, me
1: You're listening like to Sound Opinions And that is Childish Gambino With a track called 3005 From his new studio album Because the Internet Childish Gambino, otherwise known as Donald Glover, born in California, spent most of his childhood in Georgia. He's had a multifaceted career. Better known early on as an actor, writer, comedian than a hip-hop recording artist, he was a writer on 30 Rock, that NBC comedy series, for a number of years. He played college student Troy Barnes in that NBC TV show Community. He's been a stand-up comic. He was a member of the sketch comedy group Derek Comedy that got a lot of notice on YouTube. And, oh, by the way, he's also a rapper. He started his career in 2008 with an indie album called Sick Boy, followed it up with another release in 2009. In 2011, he was signed to Glass Note Records, which put out his camp album in 2011. That put him on the map with a lot of the hip-hop blogs. And now we have the second studio album for Glass Note called Because the Internet. Here's a little bit of that album. It's called No Exit from Childish Gambino on Sound Opinions. Can't Sleep. Stare at the ceiling, murder the feeling Spider-crawling the corner,
2: brown recluse So appropriate Cornucopia, so be it, say I'm over it Playing little dirt, this ain't what you want Look at my feet, I put my sneakers in the trunk Pass a fat burger to while the while village laugh for a minute Couldn't cry for the life of me Park by the bridge, sit on the hood, look at the car, stare at my hands, look at the moon, I can't find it, it's gone, what's wrong, didn't respond when I texted you last night, you alright? Yeah. Don't go, gotta know, he's Star bound to a body inside of me, 20 million degrees Burn a man to his knees, let it out I did hurry, bought a McFlurry Freeze. and half of a nap apple what pie When I'm rapping, I'm satisfied when I'm dying I'm still alive, strange position I'm in a good mood So good I'm going to kill that's my The kind of things that they told me I am do that you're only among me You finally get it, they go home Lock up a door, the doors, hold all the clothes Watch some the black team for lights Look at the reckless. Look at the records
3: That was no exit from Childish Gambino's Because the Internet. And early on, I think a lot of people in the hip-hop world, as well as the indie rock world, were saying this is a guy who's a really good comedian, and he's fine on television when he's acting. He's dabbling in hip-hop. He's kind of doing it as a novelty, especially when he would do stuff like sample or incorporate parts of sleigh bells and grizzly bear songs, okay? But I think he came into his own on that last album, and I think he really takes a leap forward with Because the Internet, it's a a concept record of sorts mulling over the ways life is becoming stranger and stranger in this digital age. And he can reflect Donald Glover on some heavy things like this ability that we'll soon have to perhaps be printing guns in 3D on printers, right? But then he also has like a Borscht Belt comedian ability to throw out pretty silly lines. Every marriage is a same-sex marriage, same sex every day. It's like, wow. Wow, thank you, Henny Youngman. I think he is saved by uh, the fact that, much like Chance the Rapper, whom he's collaborated with, he's he's not fronting. You know, he is a Hollywood guy, but he's not pretending to be somebody he's not. He's talking about sometimes some very serious things and sometimes some sublimely trivial things. He has a fondness for, like, referencing shows on the Disney Channel, okay? <laughs> and sometimes he waxes politically incorrect. I have no use for his, his use of the B word. But he's a real guy, and you feel like you're hanging out with him. It's it's a fun ride, and I give it a buy. It, Jim. I wouldn't say it's a lot of fun. Uh, it does
1: jump around a lot. I'll give Childish Gambino that. There's uh, all these diverse musical settings. You know, you got a little bit of jazz saxophone and world star. You got that rock guitar solo in the worst guys. You have got that acoustic guitar with that gothic atmosphere and shadows. I mean, he keeps jumping around. And I guess the topic here is the internet. So you have this sort of ADD-like attention span yeah. where you're consuming bits and pieces of things here. But I feel like this album has been done 10 times already by different artists over the last decade. I mean, the Internet has been around for a little while. There have been a lot of albums using it as sort of a metaphor. The references to hackers, hashtags, web slang throughout this record. I don't see that as being particularly innovative. I don't sense any kind of emotional investment. From this artist In this material It's kind of clever On the
3: surface But he's not telling me Something we don't Already know Yeah but when he's Singing about Oakland And the streets of Oakland And how you know I, I think he's talking about You know a real community Versus this virtual community I, I think there's emotion On that's, here
1: That's a new idea I mean I, I'm, I'm sorry I've heard that before Done better well, by other artists He's not
3: reinventing the wheel he I sure is I it was <laughs> a fun ride
1: You didn't have any fun But I don't think it's fun it's, it, it's, He's kind of gloomy And depressed in this record He's talking about how You know he's a sad lonely boy you know playing with his computer and nobody loves me and we're not connecting in the world I've heard that before I don't get any kind of emotional punch from this record at all I think it's a waste of time it's a trash it record for me
3: a dramatic divergence of opinion, a trash it from Greg, a buy it from me for Childish Gambino. What do we have on the show next week, Greg? Jim, the Christmas celebration continues sound opinions. style. We're going to look at the dawn of heavy metal. Sound Opinions is produced by Robin Lynn, Jason Saldana, Anthony Martinez, and our intern, Jake Smith.
4: Sweat spot, Susan, won't you give me a
3: line? On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic. So now it's time to hear what you have to say.
4: I need a doctor, give me nine, nine, nine. New messages.
3: Hey, this is John Straw in Santa Ana, California. I'm calling. I just listened to your best of 2013 show and wasn't to see Chance the Rapper. My son at 14 is a huge hip-hop fan, and though we
0: might agree on a few...
3: Old school rappers. Most of the stuff he listens to, I can't connect with. But when I heard you early in the year of Chance the Rapper and shared it with him, we both became big fans. Actually, saw him a couple of weeks ago here in Santa Ana, California, at a small club. And even though I was probably the oldest guy there, and he was the youngest, we had a great time. And thanks so much for finding a, a rapper that we both can enjoy.
2: Yeah. Yep.
3: Hey, Jim and Greg, this
1: is Steven from Seattle, Washington. I just finished listening to your show on your favorite records of the year and absolutely love the Chance, the rapper album, it's fantastic, I love the Savages album, and I also love the Parquet Courts album, and it would totally be my number one album of the year had it not come out in 2012, other than that, the lists were great, thanks. Hi Jim, Greg, and Andy. This is Aaron in Raleigh. Normally, I love your show, but your Christmas spectacular this year was terrible. I work in retail, and by the time Christmas finally rolls around, I am so tired of hearing the same songs for nine hours a day. This year, it sounded like Andy just copied some places. New has as Hold On through NRPQ, Cheap Trick, and Ramones, but by the time XTC's
4: song came on, I just had to stop.
3: Hope your show is better. Love you guys.
2: Bye. This is Steve Brummel, Austin, Texas. Hey guys, in regard to your Christmas
5: show, best Christmas songs ever, rock and roll. I uh, can't believe my favorite didn't make the list. The Pogs. Fairy tale of New York, but thank you very much for the show.
4: The of the for Christmas Day.
5: Hi guys, uh, Lorenzo from Portland, Maine. I just want to let you know I really loved the Christmas show. And I fully agree with uh, Andy that the Kinks' Father Christmas is the best rock and roll Christmas song ever. He said,
2: Father Christmas, give us some money. Don't mess around with all silly toys. We'll beat you up if you don't have it over. We want not your friends, so don't make us annoyed. Give all the toys to the little
5: rich boy. Two you didn't mention. If you're going to be a two-hit wonder band, well, the waitresses had uh, I Know What Boys Like
1: and Christmas Wrapping.
2: Well, and,
5: and I still get chills when I watch the uh, monkeys episode where they do the Ferencia, uh, called Rio Chia, Villanquico, Rio Chia. Thanks. Love the show.
2: Rio, Rio,
4: No more
1: messages.